welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. The hairdressing industry is constantly changing with new technology, new consumer attitudes, new generational changes and expectations on what a work-life balance is. And inevitably, out of those changes comes new business models. Today's guest on the podcast is a super nice guy by the name of Eric Taylor, who is the founder of the Salon Republic Salon Suite business in California. Salon Republic is booming with 21 locations and a total of over 2,000 individual suites. On top of that, Eric is also an amazing podcaster. He has a podcast called The Hair Game, which is also well worth listening to. Now, on today's podcast, amongst other things, we will discuss how and why the Salon Suite model started, uh, what is driving the growth of the Salon Suite model, what hairdressers contemplating a suite should consider, who is a fit for a suite, and that's just a start. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Eric Taylor. Thank you, Anthony. Thanks for, thanks for having me. And I, I know that you, you uh, kind of gave me a warning that you were going to ask me to be on, and that was months ago, and I've been anticipating it ever since. Good, good. Well, I have been uh, been waiting for this one. Uh, I know a lot of people listening to this will, will be, you know, intrigued with what you're doing. Um, on that note, a lot of my audience is not in the US, and uh, a lot of them will have no idea what a salon suite is. So, um, I think in line with that, then that's probably the very best place to start, which is for you to tell us, you know, how did the how did the salon suite model get off the ground? How did it start? Where did you get inspired by it from? Okay, big question. So I'm going to try to distill it down to the most valuable pieces. Where did it start? The salon studio model, I like to call it studio model, but suites is fine too. The studio model started in Texas and it began by the, um, the dreamings of a barber by the name of Keith Clark in, uh, let's see, I don't want to get the date wrong because if he listens, he'll be upset with me. I believe that uh, he he's now in his 80s and in the 70s and early 1980s, he owned a lot of traditional types of salons. I believe that he got his chain of salons in Texas up to about five locations. He had probably 10 to 15 hairdressers per location. And over time, he found that he was spending a tremendous amount of his time dealing with the conflicts, the interpersonal conflicts between the hairstylists. So he tried in one salon initially to simply put up partitions in between them to try to give them a little bit of their own square footage and their own space to do their own thing. And lo and behold, it limited the conflicts. So he said, okay, well, if a little partition is going to work, I, I'm going to build a larger partition. So in his next location, he built a larger wall in between the hairdressers. And eventually, he just went ahead and um, gave each hairdresser their own individual space. Okay. 
he sold that chain of five small salons. He took over, and by the way, this is an uh, Amarillo, Texas. Okay, for those who don't know Amarillo, Texas, which is a great many people, it's a very, very small town in Texas. Very country, very cowboy. All the stereotypes apply to Amarillo, Texas. He sold that chain of five salons, took over a, a recently vacated grocery store, 30,000 square foot grocery store. And he built a, the first salon studio concept in that space, 30,000 square feet. Uh, he also built a beauty supply in there. He also built a beauty school in there. But I want to say he probably had 80 studios in, in that uh, salon. It was very successful but he wanted to move to the big city. So in the late 80s, he moved to Dallas, Texas, uh, one of the largest city, I think it's fourth or fifth largest city in the US, and uh, took on a partner and started the Plaza Salons Corporation, which uh, I think they probably at their peak had four salon studios, uh, uh, studio concept salons, which were about 10,000 square feet each. Now, the general concept, for those of you who've never heard it, is essentially you take a large space, in this case, in the early case, uh, 10,000 square feet, and then you build kind of artistic studios. Um, some people look at them and they think offices, but you know, those of us who I think do a better job at it, we try to build them in such a way that um, they're more like the an artist's studio if you're a, a painter and you want a, a your painting studio with you know a place to put your your tools and and to sling the paint around that's kind of what we're talking about so in a 10,000 square foot uh, salon like that keith would build out 50 of these individual artist studios and and then he would uh, let the let the hairdresser community know and the pitch was, you know, come in here and do your own thing. Work the hours that you want, work the clients that you want, charge the prices that you want. Uh, you collect the money, you're in control of the product, uh, the product line, the brands that you use. You're in charge of how much you work, how little you work, and um, all the rest. And, and that, that is where it started, and that is the general concept. Okay, that's that, that. That sort of enlightens everybody. I was just doing a little bit of uh, math while you were talking through that to sort of g give people a an impression of the scale of that. And and twenty thousand square feet is the size of seven tennis courts. So for some reason, I always think in terms of tennis courts to get uh, you know a picture of something. Now you know I know that one of your uh, the suite model that you've got, well one of them, the biggest one I think it is uh, that you walked me around. Uh, when I was last in LA, that was a 20,000 square feet one, yeah? Yeah, that's 22,000. We're actually expanding it to 28,000. Of course you are. So, so, <laughs> <laughs> so, so in other words, that the footprint of that is the size of 10 tennis courts. So for our listeners, I think as soon as you put it in that context, you realize the sort of footprint that that's got. So uh, that's going to have 28,000 square feet. Um, how many individual suites will be in there? There'll be about 140, I believe. And that includes studios that are for single hairdressers, studios that are uh, for, let's say, a, a small team of two or three. And that includes large studios for a team of, say, 10. Right. Okay. So 
So when when you talk studio or suite, we're talking. I mean, I'm saying this because I've seen it, but I know a lot of people are trying to get their get a visual on what this looks like. Uh, each studio is four walls and a door. Yeah, Correct. it's a windows it and, yeah, with, and with, with lots of windows. Yeah, with lots of windows as well. Yeah. Um, uh, so, so they are a, a business unit of one, or as you've so rightly said, it's not just for single operators. Some of them might have, I know I went into one of yours, uh, where it was, it was a salon basically. I mean, there were five chairs in there and, you know, some of those chairs were being shared between different people. So I can quite easily see how it can be a salon within a salon. So you, you, you own uh, salon Republic, but it's a really clear distinction that you don't own each of those salons. You're, you're a landlord. You're not a hairdresser. That's correct, isn't it? Like, right, you know, yes. You're a landlord. And so um, within, you know, your biggest unit that'll have a hundred and whatever you just, how many did you say? hundred and? About a hundred and forty. hundred and forty. Yeah, I, I'm actually not even sure. I've never counted, but, but we've, we've got like a hundred and, I think we've got about 120 now and we're adding about 25. So let's call it 145. Right. Okay. So, um, I mean, that is, so, so that's 145 individual businesses within that Salon Republic unit. Right. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And, and that's only if you're considering each studio, the individual business. Some of these studios that say have 10 people that work there, each one of those individual chairs is technically their own business, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and so, so, so on that point, actually, I should, I should uh, expand into the, the reality that we'll have about 250 hairdressers in there. In that particular one. Right. Yeah. Okay. But they're not employees. Correct. Yeah. Not employees of yours. It's a totally separate relationship. Correct. Okay. So um, what is the biggest thing that attracts hairdressers to the suite model? Well, I think it's, I think it boils down to freedom. Now there's a lot of answers. You, the way you, you asked the question though, you said, what is the biggest one? The biggest one is freedom and independence. It is the idea and the reality that they don't have to fit into someone else's world. Uh, someone else who has put up a salon and they play the music they want to play and they have the temperature where they want it and they've designed it the way they like, um, all of those hairdressers are fitting into that world. That works sometimes, of course, but sometimes it doesn't. So the freedom, the independence for someone, a, a hairdresser who has a good book of business and wants the, the ability to ascend, I, I tried to think of a different word, but I couldn't. The, the ability to ascend um, to to a height that is determined strictly by them, that is the number one thing that attracts people to the model, okay? No one is telling them what to charge for their services. No one's telling them uh, when to work. Um, they, can, they can do nothing but high-priced extensions all day, every day, and they can continue to raise their prices as long as they're having demand, and the sky is the limit. We have people that make a tremendous amount of money. There are fancy cars in our parking lot. I remember a guy moved into my second location in 2003 and bought a Bentley, you know, two or three months after moving in because he couldn't believe what it's like to keep all the money that he is now uh, drawing from his, from his service productivity. Of course, you know, and, and uh, I say all the money, 
all the money, you know, minus the expenses. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's obviously not for everybody. I mean, if you've got, you know, up to 140 individual salons in one suite location, um, you're obviously not relying on any walk-in traffic for that type of business model. So, it's obviously people that are either a destination that are that are marketing themselves. I'm assuming that most of that is through you know social media, um, or they're people that have already built up a considerable business working somewhere else with someone else. Yeah. Yes, all of that is very true. The uh, the our salons get they do get walk-in traffic uh, at varying degrees. Just depends on you know where they're situated in in the in each different market. But uh, yes, we always recommend to people, do not rely on the walk-in traffic uh, that's coming into the salon. Um, we, one, of, one of our jobs is to make sure that we are composing a salon with hairdressers who are going to best fit into that situation. I've always believed that the quality of the salon is simply an aggregation of the quality of the people who work in the salon. I believe that's true whether it's a commission salon or if it's a salon like ours where um, you know, the people who are actually doing the services are not my direct employees. It's still true. If we had a bunch of shitty hairstylists in the salon, that's not good for anybody. It's not good for us. It's not good for any of the hairstylists. So um, one of our jobs is to make sure that uh, we are very honest with people when they come to us um, and we are discerning in those, in, in, you know, who we, um, basically, um, you know, ma make those studios available to. And of course we get a lot of people who, who come in right after beauty school and uh, they haven't built a clientele. They have not been very good at, um, letting all their friends know that they're hanging a shingle and so on and so forth. And so we strongly recommend to them. Go to a salon where you're, where you can build, where you can get the walk-in traffic, you know, or uh, get really well. Actually, it's an and or get really, really good. Get get a lot better at um, hitting the pavement and and um, building your clientele. Now, social media has made it possible for some, a small percentage of hairdressers coming out of beauty school. Um, to go into an independent situation. This, is, this was kind of a philosophy of, of ours that had to change probably three years ago. Um, and it changed with one particular hairdresser who came to our Santa Monica location and, and we essentially turned her away. We said, you know, this is not the best situation for you. Uh, we super duper appreciate that you want to work here, but um, I, we think you'd be a lot better in a you know traditional sort of salon where you can build a clientele and and if you have a week that's slow, uh, then it, you know it's not going to cost you a great deal. And she she convinced us that she has a clientele built through Instagram, and so we tried with her, and she's been so enormously successful that we've had to change our philosophy. So she's actually taken three studios in line now, and we've knocked down the wall for her. And so she's got three chairs in there and she's got two other hairstylists that work with her. Great. Well, that's a, that's a great success story. But one of the things, and, and I know we, you and I have had these conversations before. So, you mm -hmm. know, uh, um, you know, I'm not giving you a hard time. Of course. <laughs> um, but, but I am giving you a hard time on, on, uh, on the part of, uh, on behalf of listeners who are salon owners who have a traditional 
you know, employee employer model commission based salon. And so like you, you, you know, just alluded to the fact that like someone comes to you straight out of beauty school, or whatever. And you say, listen, this isn't going to work for you. You need to go back to uh, get a job in a commission based salon where you can, I forget the exact words you use, but basically where you can build up a client base. And so, and I know you've had this said to you with, uh, you know, much vitriol over the years. <laughs> so you're, you're thick-skinned um, about this. But, you know, you, the, the argument that the, the commission-based salon owner is having while they're sitting there listening to this is, why should I take that person straight out of beauty school? Why should I train them? Why should I, um, through the marketing of my brand, my business, attract clients to them, feed them, build them up, coach them, you know, uh, turn them into a, a, a productive hairdresser for them to, you know, whether it's a year later, two years later, three years later, whatever, for them to then uh, go, well, this client base is mine and I'm now going to take it and I'm going to go and open up my own suite. And, and so that is the, that's the, you know, that's the bit, that's the rub, isn't it, for salon owners. I mean, when you just described that young lady who you did employ, who didn't have a client base, uh, but she was good on Instagram, whatever. I take my hat off to people like that, that yeah. they can build up from scratch um, using their own wherewithal. I, I absolutely salute them for doing that. But the ones that, you know, because I've been that salon owner that have had people, you know, rip the clientele um, away from the salon that I'd built up with them uh, and then taken it elsewhere. It hurts. So talk to I'm us, sure. talk to us about that. Totally empathetic to that hurting. I totally get it. I'm none of that is lost on me at all. I think though that the reality of this situation is that each salon model has its offering, right? And the the traditional employee-based commission salon model, its offering is that a hairdresser Sometimes new, doesn't have to be new, but since, we, since I went down the road of a new hairdresser, let's just take that example. A salon like that can take a new, let's kind of also put in parentheses, inexpensive hairdresser, and through its offering of you know, the booking service at the front desk, the fact that it uh, provides supplies, the fact that it helps with um, taxes, the fact that it helps with marketing and these other things, money, that salon needs to have a model um, that justifies the, the offerings that it's giving to a hairdresser who is a um, relatively inexpensive hairdresser, right? A hairdresser who um, has yet to build a business, very new, um, someone that could be hired for a lower amount of money, right? And then the, the model is essentially, we're, gonna, we're going to highly amenitize this working environment for this person. And then, of course, the margin that the commission um, salon owner is getting, let's call it the gross margin that the uh, commission salon owner is getting from that service provider, uh, needs to be large enough to justify those expenses, right? And of course, we don't live in a, an economy where we can force people into doing things they don't want to do. So the, the natural, the, the nature of things, whether it's our business or somebody else or a different industry is that that person can up and leave. Um, so if 
someone wants to be in the salon and in the part of the salon industry that is employee based commission part of the salon industry they need to think very long and hard about how to structure their situation so that they can keep that keep a gross margin large enough to pay for all of those services that a particular percentage of the hairdresser community is going to greatly value and that is and that's going to be the um, percentage of the hairdresser community that we just talked about um, new hairdressers <laughs> who have yet to build a clientele, who greatly value marketing, greatly value a, a salon offering supplies and book, booking, et cetera. And there's going to be a percentage, or there is a percentage of the hairdresser community who is an experienced hairdresser, but they just don't want freedom. They don't want the individuality. Um, they don't want the responsibility, okay? With freedom comes responsibility, of course. They don't want that. So they also are going to greatly value the salon owner offering those things, marketing, supplies, booking, um, education, et cetera. And that's just, that's kind of the, that's the area where they're going to succeed. Now there's salon, and you know probably better than I, but I'll just speak to it generally. Um, there are salons that do a great job of that. They provide a team-based atmosphere that is highly valuable, you know, to a to a decent percentage of of the of the hairdresser community. They offer culture that is very valuable. They offer educational opportunity opportunities um, and all sorts of other things that are very valuable. And then, of course, on the other side of the spectrum, there's a lot of commission and employee-based salons that don't. So those are the ones that are going to get hurt because there are now other options for hairdressers within our industry. Well, why do you think it's been so successful in California in particular? Because it's very, I mean, you know, dominant West Coast of the U.S., but, but very much spreading across the country. What, what, what is it about the, I don't know, the way of life, the mindset of, of, of people in California? What, what is it that's, um, you know, made it explode there, for want of a better word? Well, I, I first want to say that it has been most successful in the state of Texas. It started there. Um, frankly, the, the, and I'm, I don't want to take all the credit, but yeah, I, I brought it from Texas to California. And, you know, I went to college in California, so I was interested in living here. <clears throat> but after working with my mentor, who originally, who was the, uh, Keith Clark that I mentioned earlier, I worked with him very early on, learned the business. Uh, learn the industry, and, and then I moved out to California. Um, we, we are, by and large, the the vast majority of studios in California. And, and I know just because you and I have gotten to know each other and stuff, and we've hung out and had lots of conversations, it seems like California is the big market for it. But really, Texas was the original market for it. And I would say Texas has more salon studios um, than California. And, and I'm just totally guessing because I haven't actually done the math. It started in Texas and it thrives in Texas because Texas is a place where expenses are relatively low. There's a lot of people. There are, um, there is a culture of um, wildcatting. And I'm going to use that term knowing that most of your audience doesn't know what it means. So I'm going to uh, explain it. In, in, the, in the oil boom of Texas in the early 20th century, 
um, the term wildcat was given to people who would take a little bit of money, go out in the middle of a field, drill a hole looking for oil, having no idea whether oil was going to come up or not, right? Mm -hmm. So highly entrepreneurial business culture in the state of Texas. No state income tax. Um, that's part of the low expenses thing that I mentioned. And, and lots of other ingredients that lend towards people just trying new things, you know, from a business sort of standpoint. So for example, um, my parents still live in Dallas and I still go visit all the time. They live right by this little suburb called Addison, Texas. And Addison, Texas has the highest number of restaurants per capita of any other city in the country. And if you were to extrapolate that out, wouldn't be surprised if that was anywhere in the world, given that in the US in general, we have the highest um, square footage of retail real estate uh, per capita than anywhere in the world. So I wouldn't be surprised if Addison, Texas had more restaurants per person than anywhere in the world. People put up restaurants there, like this is the jelly bean restaurant. You can go there and find 8 million kinds of jelly beans. Next door, it's the snow cone restaurant. So people try shit of all different <laughs> concepts, okay? Yeah. So, th so that's why I'm bringing it up as an example. You don't see this in LA. You don't see this in New York. Because if you, if you as a, an entrepreneur want to put up a snow cone restaurant and you went to a landlord in Manhattan and you said, I want to put up a snow cone restaurant, he'd slam the door in your face and tell you to get out of there because you're stupid, right? In Texas, they try new shit. So that's why this concept initially was able to flourish there. Um, and I think that extent, that culture of entrepreneurship, I think extends into the hairdresser community. Um, now, moving on to California, you know, I moved here in uh, 1999. After having worked with Keith, I worked for him for free for about a year. I learned what hairdressers like. I learned what makes them successful and happy and uh, so on and so forth. I moved out to California because I didn't want to, one, I wanted to live here because the weather's great, right? Two, I didn't want to compete with him in Dallas. I thought that would have been a crappy thing to do. So I put up the first location in California in 2000. Um, and we've expanded to 21 locations here. However, it's gotten harder. I mean, I was just talking to one of my employees yesterday who's responsible for putting up new locations. And I said, you know, the days of throwing up a, a no-brainer location like, like we, those days are over. You know, it's gotten a lot harder. Things are a lot more expensive. The regulation is much, uh, much more onerous. The the building inspectors come out and run us, drag us through the mud, you know, so on and so forth. The unions, the cost, you know, all that stuff. So it's a lot harder now and it requires a more sophisticated organization. And that has simply forced us to become more sophisticated. Okay. What, what, what sort of, um, I know the answers to the question, but I'm wanting to hear some of them for you. Sure. Uh, what, what sort of responses did you get in the early days of starting you know, Salon Republic, what sort of responses did you get from the industry? What sort of responses did you get from clients as well? Uh, interesting question about the clients. I don't think I've ever, I, nobody's ever asked me that one. Um, so well, I, I let, let, let me give you an analogy. I was talking to yeah. a, a mutual friend of ours, um, uh, Robert Chromians, mm -hmm. and we were talking about the, the suite model. And he, he said, 
he said to me, uh, he said, Anthony, when I go to a restaurant, I love nothing better than being in a big bustling restaurant. And I, and I'm like, yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah. But I don't want to be in a booth. I mean, some restaurants will have a little closed off, you know, snug booth, whatever you, whatever the term is. And I thought that's, you know, if I'm a client in a hairdressing salon, I, uh, me as a client, I don't want to go and sit in a, uh, a closed off, you know, booth, one stylus, one chair, one mirror sort of thing. And I know that that is not what you're all about, but as a client, I want to be somewhere that's bigger, that's got some energy, that's got music, that's got a, got a team, got a culture thing going on. Mm -hmm. So, um, I, I actually get why it works, um, from the hairdresser's point of view, a lot more than why it works from the, you know, from the client's point of view. That's so funny because I thought you were actually going to go the opposite way. And, and because my experience has literally been the opposite of that. I had a conversation yesterday because a hairdresser of ours moved out of a studio. They had been in a studio for a while and, and they moved out. They went to, this was actually, we have a salon in Dallas and this was a Dallas hairdresser, moved to a team-based salon in Dallas because of uh, all the promises and things and the, the notions of grandeur that the, that the owner was, was giving her. She worked there for three months and she now wants to come back. Unfortunately, her studio is not there anymore, but we're going we're gonna to try to figure something out for her. She said her clients over the years of having her full attention in the studio, being in an environment that is, um, is, is controlled uh, in terms of what mood they're in. So if they want loud pumping music and they, da, 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 they can have that, you know, in a studio. Um, if, if they want to be on their phone, if they have a phone conversation, if they, you know, want to read or whatever, they don't want somebody else's blow dryer in their right ear and somebody else's blow dryer in their left ear. And, um, and all of the cacophony that happens in kind of an open sort of situation. I can understand it from both sides because I'm human um, and it's totally subjective. Sometimes I want to go to a very loud, bustly restaurant that tries really hard to get all of those sound waves to reflect all off of its sur- um, surfaces and to, to have a very kind of energetic atmosphere. Sometimes I don't want to go to one of those things because I can't hear the dude next to me, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I'll go to a nightclub if I want to go to a nightclub. Or I'll go to um, uh, uh, another place if, if I don't want that sort of thing. I try really hard at Salon Republic to give people the flexibility to have both as much as possible. Okay. Now, of course, because there are permanently built, you know, uh, walls in order to give everyone uh, w- their own studio, we can't tear them down just because somebody wants us to. But the doors can be opened. People, the hairdressers get to know each other across the hall, next door. Friendships, lifelong friendships happen. A community develops. But it develops with the ability for people to control it on a minute-by-minute minute basis depending on what they want. Okay. Okay. That's good. Um, tell me some of the things that were said to you at the beginning when you were first getting Salon Republic off the ground by traditional salon owners? Like what was yeah. the, um, what was the response? 
Well, I was I was the bane of the industry, <laughs> as, as you might imagine, um, and, and I'm I'm still not you know you know it, uh, liked a hundred percent. Certainly, a higher percentage of people who like me, but um, there were petitions that were written by you know salon owners um, to pass laws against me. Um, there were there was vandalism that people did. And I, of course, I don't know who did it. You mm. know, if somebody wants to dent our sign, you know, I'm, I'm going to pay the $3,000 to get it fixed. I'm, I'm going to be upset, but for about five seconds, then I'm going to move on. Okay. Mm. I, I understand that if when people are threatened, when their livelihoods are threatened and their way of doing things are threatened, that they're going to retaliate and they're not going to be nice. Totally get it. I want to say that when I first, um, actually before I put up the first location, I told someone that it's kind of like dropping a boulder. It's going to be like dropping a boulder in a stagnant pond. It's going to cause ripples. It's kind of going to cause waves. Um, there's going to be some people who are going to get upset. And certainly some people did. Um, so that, that happened. I mean, as, as far as um, actual one-on-one -on -one encounters, I had people come to the salon early on. You know, I had just spent $400,000 building a salon and I needed to get people in there within probably five weeks or else, you know, I was going to be in real trouble. <laughs> and, pe and people would come in and um, I had one lady tell me that I was insane and I would never get 40 hairdressers to work in the same salon. Um, I, she literally, she was in there for like five minutes and that's yeah. what she told me. And then she walked independent out independent businesses. Yeah. 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 For, yeah. Yeah. I mean, but, but she was struggling with one, she was struggling with the size and what's ironic is that's our smallest location now, but she was struggling with the size of the, of the location and having 40 hairdressers under the same roof, you know? Um, and, uh, I had other people come in and say that they would, uh, that they could never, you know, be away from their friends that they work next to now. And, you know, I, I've heard it all. I've heard it all. So what, what, what does a, well, so let, let's talk numbers for a minute. Uh, if I'm a young hairdresser and I come and want to have my own salon suite, what is that going to uh, cost me on a, on a weekly basis? And what would that typically cover? So let's see. I, it totally depends on location. Yeah. Um, you know, in the marketplace. And it depends upon the location within the salon. So the um, last time you and I were hanging out, we were I took you to our Beverly Hills location. And so you just want to talk about that one? Um, whatever. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of thinking, is there, a, is there a ballpark? I mean, I get that in, in some parts of the city or some parts of the state, you know, you're going to be paying a lot less. So what, what would the start price be if you wanted to sweep for a week? A couple of hundred bucks a week or... Three, so four hundred. What would that? What would the high end be? What would the low end? And what would the high end be? In in Texas, and we also have a salon in Colorado. In Texas and Colorado, we're starting at like I think it's two hundred bucks is probably our lowest now. Wow. Okay. Two hundred bucks per week, um, and that goes up to, you know, I mean, we have we have people who come in with teams, you know, yeah. so so sometimes we'll combine four studios into one large salon. Um, and that will cost a thousand dollars a week, you know, right. but there's okay. 10 people working in yeah. there. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so it's, it's kind of hard to, to give an average, but that gives you a, a ballpark. Um, in California, 
let's just go straight to Beverly Hills, a single studio in Beverly Hills, um, not on an external window. Okay. So inside the salon, mm-hmm. I believe we're at 395, somewhere in that neighborhood starting. So that's okay. no, that's no natural light when you say. Internal. Right. I mean, usually so, so the way it works, it's more. Yeah. Correct. So the external studios, those are right on the window, looking out on the street or the whatever. Yeah. Um, the internal studios, they have huge windows that look through the external studio to the outside. Right. Yeah. But yeah. we call those internal studios. And because um, people demand them less, they are less expensive. So those start at, at I think, about three ninety five. Okay. Right now. now I, I know there's suite operators and suite operators. Um, and, um, you know, when you gave me a tour, uh, you know, it, it, it sort of changed a lot of my thinking about suites. Uh, yeah. What are some of the things that you offer that um, are sort of quite unique to Salon Republic? You know, so, so I'm paying that, sure. you know, 500 bucks a week, or whatever it's going to be, uh, you know, to rent that space. What am I getting for that? Right. So in each of our locations, we have a large reception area. We have a salon manager that sits at a very nice front desk full time. Um, that person is there to, um, to maintain the, the property. Um, they, they're, they're a lot like a property manager, but they do a lot of things that are specific to salons. So they, they show the clients where the studios are. If there's a problem with the studio, they get it fixed as quickly as possible, uh, so on and so forth, okay? So, so um, they, don't, they don't manage the people, they sort of manage the space. Right. They manage, right. They manage the space, which has a lot to do with managing people as well. Right. But, um, but, but it, is, it is a little bit more property management and customer service uh, um, rather than, you know, managing the books of, you know, the 10 hairdressers in the salon. Um, stuff like that. Now that manager also tends to our beauty supply. So in each of our locations in California, we have a beauty supply, which is kind of like a salon centric or Cosmoprof. We carry about, I believe about 25 brands now. Um, and, and by the way, we do carry Paul Mitchell. I know you and I were talking about that last time we were talking. So, so we do carry Paul Mitchell now. Good. Um, <laughs> we, we, so we carry about 25 or so brands um, all the big ones, we essentially want to carry what, what everyone uses in the salon. We want to make it easier for people to, uh, to get their products. When I was working in the salon full time 20 years ago, uh, I thought it was ridiculous when a hairdresser would run out of the salon to drive down the street, which could be 30 minutes per way in, in LA traffic, to buy one tube of 6N because they got a last minute client. Um, but that's the way that it, you know, works in a lot of the, you know, booth rental sort of situations where the salons don't provide the, the, um, supplies. So what we did was we got to a sufficient size that we went directly to the brands and said, Hey, we want to distribute your, your brands in the salon because we've got, you know, a hundred, 200, 250 people in here. It makes sense. So we, we have right up front. A, a beauty supply in there and we sell for less than just about anyone else does. And, um, and, and we do a pretty good job of making sure that we have what, what everybody wants when they want it last second. Uh, we also sell extensions. You know, we sell tools, we sell foils, we sell gloves. 
um, all those little knickknacks that people need during the day that they might run out of. We have weekly education. It's free. Um, we uh, during the during the year, um, not necessarily during the holiday season. We I think we we stopped or we we're stopping our education next week uh, through the end of the year. But then we'll pick it back up in January. Anywhere from one to four locations somewhere in the California every single Monday will have advanced education. Most of it is hands-on, uh, very high-quality education, and we do that for free. We have somebody here you know, in our Solano Republic office that spends probably 50% of her time as a full-time employee just arranging the education for all of our hairstylists. It is, of course, um, not mandatory, totally voluntary. Um, it was, it's simply something that I've always wanted to do in our general effort to bridge the gap between, you know, a full service commission salon and, uh, you know, somebody going and getting their own storefront. We also do everyone's towels for them in most of our locations. Some of the smaller ones, it doesn't make financial sense, but in most of our locations, we do offer towel service. Uh, nobody else does that. Uh, let's see, what else do we do? We have uh, social marketing days where our marketing team goes out to the salon. They spend eight to 10 hours a day meeting with each of our hairdressers one-on-one -on -one for an hour each time, setting up Instagram accounts, helping them with their profiles, teaching them uh, videography, photography, how to pose their clients, you know, all that kind of stuff. Okay. Uh, well, yeah. Can I ask you a question about success rates? Um, uh, you, you were mentioning Texas. I, I was in Houston recently, and I was talking to a guy who had, he wasn't in a Salon Republic suite, uh, but he'd been, he'd been in a suite for four or five years. And I'm always curious about, about the success rate. And, and so I asked him, I said, okay, you've been in there four or five years. You must have seen a lot of people come and go. You know, what, would it tip, what, what, what percentage of people managed to make the suite thing work? And in his, in his experience, it was somewhere around the 50% mark. Um, oh. What would, and it wasn't a Salon Republic one. Um, what would you sort of, you know, because it's inevitable yeah. that it's not going to work for everybody. What would totally. your experience be? So I know the numbers exactly. The, the industry turnover, let's just equate it to turnover, right? Because if turnover is, is somebody who leaves, that's somebody who's not happy and successful. Yeah, turnover it, of people. Yeah. yeah, turnover of people, people who leave, the percentage of people who leave a salon every year, okay? Industry average um, from all the data that I could gather is 30% in the United States. I don't know what it is in Of, of turnover in suites? In, no, no, no. Turnover in salons in general. Oh, right. Okay. So there's 30%. No, no separation between suites and... No. But, well, I'm going to tell you what our turnover is. Right. Okay. I, th yeah. there's, I have zero data and I doubt anyone has any data for what yeah. the turnover is just for the niche of, of the studio concept, the studio salons. But in the, in, the, the, um, in the salon industry in general, in the United States, the turnover is 30%. So three out of 10 hairdressers leave a salon every sing single year in the United States. Um, in our salon, it's about half that. It's a little bit less than half that. Okay. We're, we're, we're under 15%. That, that can't make it work. Correct. Well, I mean, it, that leave. Okay. So th sometimes they leave because their husband got transferred to Las Vegas. Sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So our, our total turnover is 15%. 
So if you want to drill down on that, we could kind of guess that there's going to be a there's going to be a certain natural attrition, people who retire, people who move, you know, for natural reasons of a few percent. And then the rest of those are probably people who it's just not right for. Sure. Okay. Um, you mentioned social media training before. I, I was actually with you when I, I saw, you know, some of your social team training, some of your, you know, uh, uh, salon owners. Um, yeah. How important is that for them in terms of building their business? Because, you know, you're talking about your biggest location, 140 different salons in there. And yeah. okay, you say there's some, some walk-in traffic you wouldn't want to be hanging around waiting for the walk-in traffic. So, Correct. you know, yes, you might arrive with a, with a, with a, a book of clients, a client base that you're bringing with you, but mm -hmm. you know, the law of diminishing returns, I mean, you're going to, you know, lose some of them through all sorts of reasons. I think the average stat that I usually hear is around 20% of people you're going to lose every year. Okay. Um, so how are they, uh, you know, how important is social media for them in terms of marketing who they are? I think it's extremely important in all of our kind of research, informal research in, in data, we find that still the number one source of new clients is word of mouth. Still the number one is word of mouth. And the, the second is social media, particularly Instagram. And I think that some of those do have some relation to each other. For example, my wife, um, before she was my wife, she would uh, uh, be out with her friends and she would like her friend's hair and she would say, who did it? Uh, this guy did it. And then she would, um, you know, look them up somehow, you know, um, back in the day, if there was a way to look it up. Nowadays, I, th I think that what happens in that interaction is, okay, uh, John Doe uh, did my hair. You should, you know, look up John Doe. Here's his information. Oh, here's his Instagram. And then somebody scrolls John Doe's feed. So that's word of mouth supported by um, social media, the social media presence. And that's pretty much number one. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting when you talked about uh, Keith, your, um, your mentor. Obviously, when he started the salon suite business model, there was no Instagram. There was no social media. Right. Social media has basically made it explode hasn't it because it's it's you know i often when i in my seminars I, i'll hold up my iphone and i'll refer to it as you know that this is uh, this has been the game changer that, yeah. that, that this is what's enabled this business unit of one because you can you can book online you can take payment on your phone you can do all your marketing on your phone and yeah. and, and pre you know the smartphone that just mm -hmm. simply wasn't possible so um it was and it sort of just made it explode hasn't it it, it, it has supported it. I, I think I, and what you're saying is, is a very popular thing to say. And I think it, it is, it is largely true, but I, I hearken back a little bit to my experience in 1999 when I was opening our first location. Um, and so I think back from, from 1999 up until when social media became really, really popular, well, let's call you know Instagram getting really, really popular in our industry in 2014, 2015. There, let's call it 15 years in there where I had wait lists for all of my studios. You know, when we when I opened the first location in uh, in 1999, we were 50% full when we opened, 
and there was there was no Instagram. So the the and that's why I say the basis of the appeal is the freedom and independence that is otherwise pretty difficult to find in the industry before mm. there was this kind of a situation. Um, yeah. Now, of course, you had some hairdressers who were uniquely entrepreneurial and were able to get uh, to save enough money to open their own salon, right? And that, of course that is the birthplace of a lot of the traditional salons. These are hairdressers who left a salon and opened up their own salon. Okay. So there's not a whole lot of difference between the hairdresser doing that. The owners of all these salons, the people who, you know, have historically been really upset at me and what I'm offering to, to those people, but those people who maybe weren't quite as entrepreneurial, weren't able to save as much money to come in and have their own studio. How many of them use having a, a, a studio, a suite, as a as a stepping stone to then opening up their own, you know, freestanding location? Yeah, it's a really good question, and it's something that people don't ask very often. And it definitely happens. Look, we um, uh, Larissa Dolph, right? Lar- Larissa Love on Instagram um, opened up her own salon after working at Salon Republic and after working at uh, David Thurston's, you know, Butterfly uh, Studios. Yeah. Uh, opened up her own uh, salon. Um, I mean, I would say the, of the 15% turnover, it's a very low percentage that actually do that, but it definitely happens. I mean, every year, you know, we, we probably have maybe two, you know, hairdressers, maybe three hairdressers that leave their studio at Salon Republic to go open their own salon, which is totally cool, right? Um, you know, I, I never take offense. It, it doesn't hurt me emotionally. Uh, to me, it's a hairstylist who is taking advantage of, you know, the opportunities out there and they want to try it out and super cool. And I wish them all the success in the world. Um, v- very often, they, they, <laughs> I want to be so diplomatic. <laughs> Very often they realize that it's a clusterfuck. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, from a financial standpoint, from a personal standpoint, they find that um, they used to spend their time doing the things that they liked doing. And all of a sudden they're spending their time doing the things that they hate doing. Um, payroll or managing a a $10 an hour receptionist who couldn't give a shit about anything, Mm. or um, they've had to learn how to get really good at hiring people. Um, They got sued, Um, you know, so on and so forth. All the things that, those are the things that we do, you know, those are, that's all the bullshit that, that we do. Um, And so, so pretty often um, that happens. And then another thing that Instagram has allowed was for certain opportunities to happen. So, for example, uh, a month ago, a hairdresser who moved out of our West Hollywood salon about three years ago um, uh, got a really, really good contract with a huge brand educating all over the world. So he can't run his salon and travel the world educating. Um, So what he did was he sold his salon and then he got on our waiting list. He got a studio. And uh, so now he's maintaining his studio so he can, when he's back in town, he can handle his best clients and then he's back on the road again. Yeah. So, you know, the way, the way I see the industry is kind of a large kind of flowing fungible group of people 
who each have their own way of doing things. This, you know, they're, they're artists, right? They have their own way of doing things. And if the more options there are out there for people to do things, whether it's going to an employee-based salon, a team-based pay, you know, booth rental and a large open salon, a studio, a street front, uh, be a full-time educator, you know, work in the corporate office of Cody, you know, the more options there are out there, I think the higher percentage of happy and successful people we're going to have, which is kind of the overarching goal. Yeah. With um, one of the comments about suites is who's going to train the next generation? Do do you have, um, you know, do do your salon owners, your suite owners, do, do, do any of them train other people? Do they bring on assistants? Sure. They do. Oh yeah. Okay. A, a lot actually. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But 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 it, it's an it's an interesting question because if, if I were to ask, you know, who trained the last generation of hairdressers, then you know, you would tell me and a, a commission salon owner would tell me, well, the, the you know, the experienced hairdresser in in that salon would train the new people and and I've spent the last 20 years hearing from those people the ones who tra- who were expected to train the next generation about how upset they were because they never got paid to train the next generation. Mm. They were just kind of expected to because the salon owner kind of thought that that was the way that it should go. Well, it was, it, and, was, it was just a sort of a, depending on where you were in the world, it was just an accepted norm. norm. Yeah. Someone, someone trained you, so you train the next generation, you know. Right. You, you see... I mean, in, in the United States, where you have this beauty school culture, it's very different to Europe, Australia, UK, where there's more of an apprenticeship-based um, culture. So, you know, it, it has different ramifications for different countries. That, um, yeah. when, when you get a lease in a studio, I mean, how long is it? Is it, is it a 12-month lease or it is? Yes. So, so you're locking yourself in for 12 months there. You're committing for 12 months and we are committing to you for 12 months. Yeah. So, so very often people want things done to their studios. They want a wall ripped down or they want, yeah. you know, a different lighting or they, they want to do this, this or that. And, you know, sometimes we'll pay for that or accommodate for it or whatever. And th- that's real money, right? So there's a commitment on both sides for 12 months, which is we found to be the healthiest way for it to, for it to work. Yeah. Is, is there a typical uh, suite owner? A typical suite owner? I would say that... I mean, I see... You know, uh, 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 let me point at some of the people I see that I think the suite works really well for. Mm-hmm. Um, I know some hairdressers that are in suites who do editorial work. So mm-hmm. they want to come and go as they please, close the door, not have to ask permission. I'm not going to be here on Wednesday. Is that cool? You know, they just come and go as they please. I see others that are um, young mums who, you know, they want to drop little Johnny off at school and then, you know, open the suite at 10, uh, work till three, not have a lunch break, service their client base between then and then be standing outside the school gate at three. I can see why the suite model works for them. Um, so, I mean, they're, they're, you know, they're examples of I can definitely see yeah, suite thing works 100% for some type of hairdressers and, and sure. people that are people that are self-motivated. I mean, people mm-hmm. that uh, are prepared to, you know, get their ass out of bed and get down there and open the door, even if they're not booked and get on Instagram and start doing their marketing, et cetera. I mean, mm-hmm. wh- wh- what are some of the, 
you know, the commonalities that you see in, in people that make a success of it. So the, the two kind of demographics you just laid out, or certainly it works well for them, but that ignores, I think, the vast majority of the types of people who work in the studios, which are people who are 100% committed to their salon clients. So um, someone who has enough clients to work as long as they want and be able to um, you know, raise their prices every year, um, et cetera, it, it is an absolute, okay, and, and I'm going to keep going on that. Someone who, because you, you named self-motivated, uh, someone who is simply motiva- motivated by that opportunity of being able to do really well, um, someone who doesn't need a mum to, to wake them up in the morning to get mm-hmm. to the salon on time, or they don't need a salon manager to get them up uh, out of bed on, to get to the salon on time. Um, and, and somebody who can can do simple math because um, the reality is at the end of the year, you need to do the simple math and then go on to a TurboTax and plug in the math. Um, that is the vast majority of people who are at Salon Republic, okay? And they make a lot more money than they previously made in the salon uh, when they were getting a 40, 50, 60% commission. That's just, that's just the math. Mm. Um, and, and that's a majority. Well, how do you see the sweet thing evolving? What, where do you think it'll be in five years time? We are growing. We're, we're trying to accelerate our growth. So I see just generally, I see there being more studio options in each given market in the United States. There are some cities in the United States that don't have any suites. Mm. Um, so it's, it's going to continue to grow. I think that one thing that I'm seeing is the certain industries like the tech industry and the salon industry in general are seeing that this is a thing. It's not going away, but it's growing. Yeah. And so they're offering supportive types of services or products to it. So, for example... You know, there are booking apps out there, you know, a a ridiculously long list of options for booking apps out there. There's hundreds Mm. um, that make it easier for you to manage your book. Um, These booking apps are now extending their reach into the merchant processing of credit cards. So, for example, when I got into the business 20 years ago, for someone to take to accept a credit card just out of their studio, they had to spend $700 on this huge clunky swipe machine. You probably remember. Yeah. Now, of course, it, it's free, right? I mean, as long as you agree to, um, to pay Square 3% or 3.75% you know, per, per swipe, per transaction, they're going to send you a, a free swiper, right? And by the way, if you agree to do that with Square, they're going to give you free booking. Okay, so now you don't, don't even have to pay for the booking. Mm. Um, you're also getting other supportive things. You know, education, as I'm sure you know, um, has gone wild. Independent education has gone wild. It's everywhere. It's almost like, it's almost like Netflix now, where you've got the paradox of choice. It's like, okay, there's... 800 million TV shows on Netflix to watch. What do I watch, right? And education is heading 
in that direction in our industry, which I make it sound negative. I don't mean to. I think it's a very positive thing that you can get, you know, education in lots of places. But of, of course, it it puts the onus upon the hairdresser to to find the education that's best for him or her. Um, so to answer your question in general, um, the the studio option is going to continue to proliferate, um, and and we are trying to evolve it so that it it both makes our existing people happier and more successful, and um, it is a good viable option for people that maybe it wasn't for previously. Yeah. Okay. Any any plans on international expansion for Salon Republic? Not yet. I mean, to tell you the <laughs> truth, you know, California is it's huge. A big place. Yeah, exactly. It's a big place. Yeah. And and I'm just talking about California. So yeah. Um, we're we're just trying to take a bite out of the California elephant. Um, but uh, but but we get, you know we're we're likely to expand into um, other states like you know Washington State, Seattle area, Vegas, Denver, places like that in the near term. That's not to say that five years from now we won't be international. Who knows what's going to happen by then? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, look, we we need to uh, wrap up. Um, where can um, let's let's uh, you know? I, I really would like you to give yourself a shameless plug for uh, particularly <laughs> the hair game, um, oh, your podcast. So tell everyone where they can connect with you on Instagram, uh, hair game, etc. Uh, where they can find out more about Salon Republic. Sure. So Instagram is probably the easiest place. Um, my Instagram handle is love Eric Taylor, Eric with a C. Um, the Hair Game Podcast, we're two and a half years in. We're about 100 and I think 115 episodes or something like that. The Hair Game Podcast has its own Instagram account. It is the Hair Game Podcast. Um, and then Salon Republic, the Instagram account is Salon Republic. And, you know, if anybody wants to like look at our website, you know, Salon Republic's website, all the links are there. Um, it's salonrepublic.com. Uh, hard not to find. We, we try to do a good job and make it easy for people to find where we are. So Instagram is a good place to start and, and kind of get that eye candy. Great. Well, Eric, I want to thank you very much for giving us an hour of your time uh, this Friday morning or Friday night in my case. Um, yeah. It's been fantastic talking to you and, uh, you know, you're a, a wealth of information and uh, you're you. certainly shaking up the industry. And, yeah. you know, uh, I never make any bones about it, that I, it's not my necessarily preferred business model, but I see why it works. I see how it works. And you are certainly doing a damn good job of it. So thank uh, you. I, you know, I appreciate it so much. No, congratulations, man. It's, it's, you're, you're doing, you're doing something quite special. Um, and to be re really honest, I'm still not a hundred percent sure how I feel about it. Like in, <laughs> in, I, I can talk about it and argue about it from either side of the, uh, either side of the coin, but as being someone who was a, you know, a former salon owner with a, you know, commission based clientele, um, you know, I feel for people out there that are salon owners that are, that are, um, you know, they've got staff leaving to open suites, but I, yeah. at the same time, see the, the change in generational attitudes. I see the change in uh, consumer expectations. I see the change in technology and, um, you know, I congratulate you for, for, you know, being able to look at what's happening and from a business perspective, being able to t take advantage of it and, and fulfill a niche for you know both hairdressers and the public because if there's one thing that's you know inevitable is that everything changes and you can't stop it 
And so it's about looking at it and looking at how you can maximize it, how you can make use of it and how it can be, you know, a force for good. And, uh, yeah. I, th- I think that, uh, that you're doing that. So thank you yeah. so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity. And, and I think your perspective makes our conversations more lively. Cool. Good. Okay, man. <laughs> good talking to you again. Thank you. Thanks you too. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at growmysalonbusiness. And if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast, make sure that you subscribe, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Anthony Whitaker wishing you continued success.